Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovely listeners, to your Wednesday stories. And today's genre of tales are all about diaries and journals. I have a soft spot for diaries and journals, mates. Mainly because they often have the most emotional dialogue of all narrative stylings out there. How much closer can you get within a story than to the one experiencing it directly themselves? And in today's journal stories, we'll explore the world of chosen slayers that kill creatures from the beyond, and an ongoing series episode titled Containment Project Part 1, in which a young boy is exposed to artifacts from the future, altering what he knows about the world, one object at a time. And before we begin, if you like what I do, be sure to swing on by my iTunes page and leave a review. Now, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's jump into today's tales. Enjoy. The Chosen Journals March 9th. I figured I'd write this journal as a way to relieve stress. My job can get a bit hectic at times, to say the least. And before you ask, I'm fine. You don't get as far as I do by being careless. Anywho, allow me to explain a few things. What if I told you that you are not alone? That as you read this, You are surrounded, not by hidden cameras or stealth ninja assassins or anything crazy like that, rather that you and others are constantly in the presence of beings whose origins predate humanity by several millennia. These beings are called ancients. That's not their actual name though. Their real name is far harder to pronounce and spell. It did take two weeks just for me to write it. Ancients are powerful, shape-shifting beings that can take the form of pretty much anything you can think of. The guy next door, your dog, even the computer you're using right now and could potentially be an ancient in disguise. That being said, there's no need to get too worried. For the most part, ancients want nothing to do with humanity. In fact, You could spend your entire life among one or more ancients and never know about it. There are exceptions, of course, ancients that have become a threat to themselves and others. That's where people like me come in. I'm part of a group of humans known as Chosen. And no, I have no idea what causes someone to become a Chosen. Maybe you're born a Chosen, or maybe... You have your abilities bestowed upon you at a certain point in life. Regardless, Chosen are the key to keeping the world safe from rogue ancients for two reasons. First, we Chosen are able to tell when something is an ancient in disguise. Most people pass by ancients without a second thought. But we Chosen can tell when something is off. When something doesn't look quite right. That's how we know if it's an ancient or not. Second, 
Only a chosen can slay an ancient. Again, no idea why. A weapon wielded by a normal human may not do much damage to an ancient, but a weapon wielded by a chosen becomes lethal to them. You see, we chosen are able to sense an ancient's core. The core is sort of like their brain or heart. It looks like this glowing orb-like thing that pulsates. Destroying the core is the only way to kill an ancient. I must go now. Got work to do. Sounds like someone was just attacked by their dishwasher. I'll tell more of my adventures as a chosen some other time. March 9th. Encountered a particularly nasty one at a retirement home. You'd think something taking the form of a pair of dentures would be funny. Well, it's a lot less funny when it jumps down the throat of its victim and rips them apart from the inside out. No, not sure how the staff will explain that to said victim's loved ones. That ancient was fast, too. I borrowed an old guy's cane to use as a weapon against it. Every time I thought I had a killing shot, the two front teeth were where the core was located. He could quickly zip out of the way. I also got bitten several times. Lucky for me, the ancient's teeth weren't very sharp, but its jaws were quite strong. Had I not smashed its core in, I'm sure it would have dove down my throat and chewed up my innards as well. March 10th. The ancient I had to hunt down this time took the form of a chair. It was slow moving but strong and very aggressive. I mean, we're talking about one nasty temper. Each arm was actually ahead, with one trying to coil around me as the other trying to bite. As you've probably guessed already, the legs of the chair were, well, legs. As for the seat, um, the less said about that, the better. Let's just say I feel sorry for anyone who tried to sit on that monstrosity. Its core was in the back, and it was determined to keep it there. For something that moved so slow, it was able to turn surprisingly fast. Each time I tried to get behind it, it would simply turn around and face me. Eventually, I opted to just burn the thing alive. I watched as it thrashed about while its core was cooked alive along with the rest of it. March 11th Like I've stated in a previous entry, not all ancients are evil. Most of them live peacefully amongst humanity. If you even will aid us chosen against rogue members of their race. One in particular goes by the name of THAC, pronounced TOC, in case you were wondering. His preferred form is that of a small plush dragon, though he will sometimes take the form of a businessman in his late 20s to early 30s. That being said, however, I don't recommend people work with Tok unless they are well aware of what they are getting into. Tok appears to be more than the run-of-the-mill ancients I've encountered in the past. He's willing to aid humanity, but his motives and reasoning for doing so remain unknown. And to be honest, he's more interested in whatever benefits him the best. Of course, that doesn't make him evil per se, just someone who can be dangerous if you're not on his side. There are other aspects of Tok that make me and other Chosen question whether or not he's even an ancient or 
something else. For one thing, he appears to be capable of some form of magic, for lack of a better term. He is capable of disappearing, and reappearing nearly anywhere he pleases, and, as I stated above, he's able to transform into more than one form. Most ancients I've encountered only have two forms, their disguised form and their true form. Perhaps Tok is simply more skilled than other ancients we've encountered so far, and his abilities reflect this aspect. Another aspect of Thok that differs from other ancients is the bizarre hourglass shaped associated with him. Said symbol can be used to prevent Thok from entering rooms or even enter buildings, and if necessary it can also be used to seal and imprison Thok should he become a danger to others. I wouldn't recommend attempting to slay him, however, as morally questionable as he can be I'd rather Thok be an ally than an enemy. March 12th. Went to a local bar and grill for dinner, and to track down another rogue ancient. Tok was with me for whatever reason. I had learned not to question why he chooses certain hunts over others. We had dinner. It was average, except for the waffle fries, which were surprisingly good, given the standard bar food fare available. Our informant was an ancient that took the form of a television set. A news ticker scrolled across the bottom of the screen. Most people didn't give it second notice as they were too busy chatting about their day or eating their meals. Tok and I were aware that the news ticker's words were completely irrelevant to what the newscaster on the television was saying. Instead, they were describing the recent attack that had occurred. The rogue ancient took the form of a human being and was responsible for the disappearance of several people over the past week. It didn't take long for us to track him down. His movements, mannerisms, and appearance were off, enough for even a normal human to find something wrong with him, even if they didn't realize just how wrong. Tok and I confronted him in the parking lot outside the bar and grill. It didn't take long for the rogue ancient to shift into its true form, and... To say he was ugly would be an understatement. His ribcage and vertebrae had crawled out of his mouth, with the ribs extending and forming long, arachnid-like legs, and the vertebrae forming the tail. The rest on the ancient humanoid body swung back and forth at the end of the tail while it scurried about, slashing at us with its front rib legs. After several long minutes of dodging rib leg strikes, and using whatever we could find as makeshift weapons to strike back, I was finally able to locate his core. It was located in the ancient's left arm of the humanoid body. Doc was gracious enough to distract the ancient while I climbed up the vertebrae tail and towards the arm. Unfortunately, the ancient quickly noticed and began thrashing about, trying to throw me off. During this, Doc had been impaled by the rib legs and had to retreat to regenerate. It took all my effort to hold on for dear life. Using what little strength I had left, I managed to stab the core with a broken bottle before falling to the ground. The ancient thrashed about for a few moments longer before curling up and dying. I really should thank Tonk for helping me that day and remind him that it's his turn to pay the next time we go out to eat.
Containment Project 1, these being the words of Publius Septimus Tertio. Containment Project Evaluation, Data Log 1, Name, Kwa Ektaku, Administrative Ambit, Chief of Historic Evaluation of Containment Project Facilities on Sol 001, Date 5th day of the 4th month, year 372, after the founding of the Republic, Authorization given. The following selected entries were taken from a house in DR negative 44. While exploring the place, we discovered several scrolls written by a boy called Publius Septimus Tertio. We believe them to be connected to diaries in DE 1920. See also DE 1920 McAvan Auto Diary Entries. Scroll 1, Ideas of September, 762 AUC. My name is Publius Septimus Tetio. My father gave me this scroll, as well as several others, as a premature gift. I'm 16 and will be a man in three months' time. The bulla around my neck still speaks of my youthful innocence. As you can tell by my name, I am the third child of my family. This consists of my father, Lucius Septimus, my mother, Rhea Terentia, my older sister, Lucia Septima, 16 years, my older brother, Terentius Silvius, 17 and named after my grandfather, Silvius Vado, and me. Mons Patrae, that is the name of the city in which I live in, in which I was born in, and in which I will most likely die. Circa 2,000 people live in this city that lies somewhere in between Eboricum, Lindum, and Mamukium. But no one really knows. We don't have any large hills, valleys, or gorges. Instead, plenty of fields, forests, and meadows inhabited by deer, moose, and wolves. Of course, we're not alone. There's a temple of Bacchus to the north and Britonic village to the west, and in between that, stones. Mons Petrae, that is the name of the city in which I live in, the name is derived from a circle of ancient stones. According to the Britons, so ancient now that even they understand the meaning of the mysterious engravings on them. Whatever, the first scroll is already completely full. We'll give each scroll a number so that I can sort them in correct order. Memo to me. May I should read what I actually wrote, such that I don't repeat myself in every other sentence. Scroll 4. Fifth Nuns of October. 762 AUC I don't know what to think about the day to come. According to my father, I am to visit the Lupinary for the first time, and this despite the fact that it's still two months long till I will be wearing the toga virilis for the first time. Whatever the case may be, I'll meet this task with stoic confidence. May Jupiter still give me strength. It wasn't all that bad despite my initial fears. I received a few coins from my father, and was accompanied by a friend of the same. The guy basically just dropped me off as he had other business to attend to. I looked about, peered at the frescoes on the four walls around me. Mayonets, nymphs well-built, young men, he-ladies specialties. All this was supposed to awaken the lust inside me. What was awoken though was my curiosity, for I found something strange on the table of the Domina Lupinaris. They were definitely coins, but not like the ones known to us Romans. 
If you're not a Roman for some reason, then let me explain that each of our coins is made of but one type of metal. There is copper, silver, gold, etc. The four that I found on the table, though, were something different entirely. They were completely round, silver with a golden ring. I didn't understand what was written on them, but I can write it down, as I had memorized it well. T-W-O-P-O-U-N-D-S I don't know what it means. I only know one thing, and it's definitely not Roman. Yet, I had apparently stared at the money for so long that I jolted when the Domina Lupinaris addressed me. Hey, what are you doing? She called, and I just stared at her as she was Medusa incarnate. My first reflex was to cut and run, but then I remembered my stoic upbringing. Stood my ground and laid my intentions bare. She nodded, vanished, and soon came back with three young women and two young men. Being put on the spot, I chose a young Nubian girl and went to her room. You want to know how it was? Well, as a stoic, I'll just say that I did what was expected of me. By the way, I didn't question the lady of the house about the mysterious coins. Neither did I question the man, leaving the lupinary before me. Scroll 9. Pridey of November. 762 AUC. A few weeks had passed since my entry into Scroll 4. I can hardly believe I had written nine scrolls thus far. On both sides, mind you. Have asked Father to buy ten more such that I can record everything. Since my day at the Lupinary, I asked myself where I had actually seen what I had seen. I convinced myself that it had only been a nervousness at the time, and that the gods were playing tricks on me, that I hadn't seen things that didn't exist. But no, I'm not crazy. It happened again. Today is the festival of Samhain, a festival dedicated to one of the deities of the nearby Bretonic village, According to their mythology, this is the night where the human world and the world of the ancestors and ghosts are closest to each other, and when one can get into contact with the latter. Whether that works with us Romans as well? Anyway, at dawn a, at dawn, a great march of musicians, dancers and priests is formed. It winds its way from the village directly through Mons Petrae before moving on to the ancient stones, where the villagers give sacrifice for the coming year. The best thing about it? Barrels full of alcohol. Apart from sweets and a few small gifts, there are copious amounts of alcohol to be consumed. I myself don't drink a lot, stoic, remember? But it is interesting observing how even a strict Catonian like Gaius Cornelius gets stinking drunk of wine and beer each year. But this year is different. Not only because I'll be a man in ten days' time, but also because I now know that I'm not crazy. I noticed it when standing close to the forum together with my mother and sister, watching the parade consisting of masked and costumed devotees of this foreign mythology. My gaze wandered from time to time, from the actual happening, and I caught myself simply staring at random people for several moments, until I saw her. The woman in the blue dress and the long, curly black hair. No, that wasn't the strange thing about her. What I noticed was a piece of jewellery on her right hand. 
What am I saying? Hand? She had it around her wrist. I walked a few steps towards her while trying to appear as casual as possible. She apparently hadn't noticed me yet and thus I could risk a few more gazes toward her piece. It had a golden band and in the center of it something I can only describe as a large eye. However, it had three large and broad needles on it which on closer inspection even moved. Juno Inferna, damn it! Yes, it was dusk, and yes, I did have a little bit of wine to get into a festive mood, but Hades may steal my coins from me if I lie. I know what I saw. Even if assumed that this kind of apparatus was designed by a Roman, what does it do? What's the point of it all? Sadly, I couldn't question the woman about it, as she walked away from me as soon as she saw what I was staring at. I tried following her, but lost her in the alley maze of the city offside the forum, which is why I returned back to the parade. The festivities have ended, and now I'm beginning to feel the alcohol rushing to my head. However, I want to use the last three spaces of this scroll to ponder my discovery. Father frequently tells me that I'm gifted with a great sense of perception and skill of observation, but do I have the skill to see things that either don't exist or that I'm dreaming of? Maybe my manly, grown-up self will have more answers in the days to come. Scroll 12. Fifth Eyes of November. 762 AUC. Today was the big day. I was awoken by my brother, who found it absolutely hilarious to put a wooden penis in front of my face. Whatever. I got dressed and joined my parents, as well as Septima and her future husband, Marius Decimus. We had breakfast, during which Marius and my father reminded me of the duties of a Roman citizen. We then went to the only large temple this town has, where my father sacrificed a white bull in honor of Jupiter, which was eaten at midday. Take a wild guess which two, manly part I, was allowed to eat. The feast was followed by a binge, and what a binge it was. It's a miracle I can even remember anything. By the way, I haven't noticed anything mysterious the entire day. Maybe it had just been my imagination. Scroll 16. 8th Kellens of December. 762 AUC. Finally, finally I have proof that I am not crazy and that I am not imagining all this. But let's start at the beginning of this eventful day, shall we? I am now a man, and as such I am in want of a wife. And for me there is but one, Daria, from the aforementioned Britonic village. She's the daughter of Tila, one of the warriors, and we've known each other since childhood. Back then it was mere friendship, but now, well, it's more, at least for me. I can't seem to get out of my head for the past two years. Her long, red hair, her cute freckles, her beautiful, well-proportioned body. But I digress. I thus put on my toga virils underneath a thick blanket on this day, took my father's horse, and rode down the street in the wintry cold, watching my breath as it escaped my mouth. It didn't take me long to reach the village and be greeted by Tila. I immediately made it plain why I was there. I think it's not an understatement to say that they were all pretty astonished, most of all Daya, but I believe she harbors the same feelings for me as I do for her. Either way, 
Tila then gave me a long talk about how I would not only marry into the family, but also the tribe, should it really come to marriage. Yet he didn't seem estranged to the idea in general and thus sent me back to my father, saying he would contact the latter as soon as possible. Halfway back to the city, though, I stopped for a break. I hadn't eaten anything since morning and therefore sat down next to one of the gravestones along the road. If you have read Scroll 12, then you'll recall me not being sure whether I had only imagined those mysterious things. Now, I know that it's true. How so? I found something while eating. At first I thought it was merely an old twig, but upon closer inspection, it turned out to be something completely different. I grabbed it, picked it up and took a close look at it. The thing looked like a simple stylus, yet didn't have a tip at first. That appeared only after I accidentally twisted the top of the apparatus. My instincts told me to take it apart to see how it functioned, but the realist in me was of the opinion to leave as it was, lest I destroyed it entirely. At first, I also believed it may be of some finely polished wood or stone, but when I accidentally and quite easily broke off the handle, I realized it was made from a material totally foreign to us Romans. Even more astounding was the fact that a blue liquid issued out of it and followed the movements of the tip when I held it against my skin. I don't know where this thing came from. It's only important that I now have proof that I'm not crazy. The coins and the jewelry could be ascribed to my anxiety and the wine, but this finding? It means that something fishy is going on here. Scroll 20 Fourth Eyes of December 762 AUC Today was the big day. Well, for Septima, not for me. Today she was finally married to Marius Decimus, a baker. Free bread for the family then? Whatever. Fact is that the festivities were overshadowed by a scandalous occurrence. One of our slaves had tried to flee the city using the cloaca. Montpetre has a cloaca? Since when? Joking. Of course it has one. Since when? Joking. Of course it has one. How they got him, you may ask? This useless animal got lost and instead of popping out of a gully in Iboricum, popped out of the gully in the center of the forum. I was present and watched as my father tormented the guy mercilessly with the whip. The dog wailed and cried and kept stammering about the same senseless things. Of subterranean tunnels made of iron, of torches as bright as the sun, of long nonsensical numbers and strange markings on and beside doors, and ladders made of iron. I've seen quite a few things in this city. The coins, the jewellery. The mysterious stylus I'm using to write these lines. I therefore made a decision and convinced my father to hand me the whip. I then walked around the doomed, looked directly into his blood-covered face and asked him one question. From where did you enter? Center, he replied after some delay. Center? Was he talking about the farm? That couldn't be right. They apprehended him from there, and surely someone would have noticed a slave disappearing into the cloaca. Angry and upset at the fact that this didn't make a lick of sense, I again went behind and beat him thrice as hard as I possibly could. His blood still partially clings to my face and my hair. Scroll 21, 
18th Kalends of January, 762 AUC. Center. What by Vulcan's dick is that supposed to mean? This question has been nagging me for the past five fucking days. He couldn't have meant the forum. Read scroll 20 for further information on that. Was he talking about the center of the Bretonic village? That can't be right either, as its center is dominated by giant men here, not a gully. I hope Minerva sends me a sign as soon as possible, because I have no fucking clue. P.S. I'm catching myself more and more fidgeting around with the head of the stylus while drowned in my thoughts. Let's hope it doesn't become a bad habit of mine. I have a clue what this animal could have meant by center. In scroll one, I'd mentioned that aside from the village, there are two other places, the Temple of Bacchus and the Ancient Stone Circle. Two completely straight roads lead from the forum, in towards the temple and another towards the village. Hence, we're talking about a right triangle when you connect village and forum, temple and forum, and village and temple. If you then connect the inner corners with the middle of the opposing lines, you'll be in the center of the triangle, the ancient stone circle. You think I'm sounding absolutely insane? Well, I can assure you that you need the same amount of time from the forum to the stone circle as you do from the men here to the stone circle. Scroll 23, 13th calendar of January, 762 AUC. On this day, Tila came to us together with Darya and voiced his agreement to marriage. Shortly after that, a few contracts were signed. The ceremony was soon to follow. I thought about showing the mysterious stylus to my new wife, but I dropped that notion when I remembered that Drogo was in town today. Drogo is a cross-county trader who travels between Eboracum and Mamukium every month and does a pit stop in Mons Petre to do business. Incidentally, he tells what happens in the great wide world. This was how I, or more accurately my parents, heard of the assassination attempt on Caesar, who had almost been murdered in the Curia. If it hadn't been for Brutus of the Juni, who had thrown himself onto Caesar and thus saved the Republic. We also heard of the discovery of a small island a few days west of Hibernia, and he was the one who informed us of the failed Germanic uprising a few months earlier. If Drogo knows more about the mysterious stylus, I'll ask him. I showed Drogo the mysterious stylus today and asked him if he knew what it was, but I wasn't prepared for his reaction, to be honest. He gave me a stern look and asked me to hand out the stylus to him, and since I was a little bit intimidated by him, and since I didn't want to make a scene in the middle of the forum, I did so. He quickly tucked it underneath his clothes and spoke. This is a dangerous thing you've found there. It's extremely powerful, and one may incur a terrible curse when used wrong. Now, admittedly, even the most educated of Romans regard any sort of curse with great seriousness, but I guess I'm probably cursed myself now anyway, given that I use it to write scroll 20, thus Drogo's warning was in vain. But I also don't believe it to be an object holding great magical powers, but rather an apparatus of a culture foreign to us Romans. Whatever the case may be, it's Drogo's loss. I'll stick to my conjecture. I espouse in scroll 21. The Saturnalia will begin in five days time, a time of merriment and amusement, and also a time where alcohol flows like water down a hill, 
which is why I'll suspect no one noticing my short leave of absence. Scroll 25, 9th Calends of January, 762 AUC. The Saturnalia are in full swing. I've prepared well for my upcoming expedition, getting a thick blanket against the cold and collecting a few torches should I really have to go underground. Of course, I also took with me three scrolls in order to record everything I would experience. I didn't involve Daya into my plan directly, yet asked Hilla for permission to visit the holy site. He replied that, since I was basically family now, I could visit the holy site as often as I wanted to. At the break of dawn, I set out on my journey. I rode down the road leading to the village on an expendable horse and then rode down the path leading to the sacred stones. Upon reaching the sacred boundary, which was implied to me by decorated animal skulls and other barbaric trinkets, I got off the horse and went on my way in the blistering cold. It took a while for me to reach the stones, and they were completely different from what I had imagined them to be. At first, I had imagined them to all look like the men here down in the village, but they were all thin, twice as tall as men, and evidently hewn in their present form and the entrance to the mysterious iron tunnels, nowhere to be seen. I swear on the black stone. I searched and searched. I walked around the circle, took several thorough glances at the central altar, where the villagers conduct their sacrifices. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was about to end it all and walk back to my horse, when I noticed something interesting. Two of those stones stood farther apart than the rest, and after taking a closer look... I noticed a parallel row of small stones leading from the large stones into the deep, dark forest. I didn't think twice about it and followed the row of stones towards... A tomb! Yes, it was large. It was a large house-like tomb. The walls were made of natural grey rock built like a rotunda. It had a roof which once most likely was made of wood but was now most likely overgrown and now covered by a thick blanket of snow. I cautiously crept towards the entrance and pulled out my gladius in fear of wolves. You never know. But what I found weren't wolves, but merely a tomb, ordained by the same ancient decorations also found on the large stones, circles, spirals, depictions of animals and the such like, all coloured in a bright shade of sky blue. Scroll 26, 9th Calends of January, 762 AUC. Sorry for recording my experiences on two separate scrolls. Like I said, I entered the round tomb holding a torch which I tediously lit outside of it. The first thing that caught my attention were the many alcoves containing shrouded bodies. Every shroud painted in the same light blue color. I explored the area and took a look at the grave goods. Ancient jewellery made of animal bones, pearls made of polished stone, as well as numerous urns and pots filled with all sorts of stuff. I grabbed one of the pots out of the sheer curiosity to see what was in it. The first thing I noticed was that it didn't even feel like a ceramic pot. What was more remarkable though, when I tried juggling pot and torch, the former fell out of my hand, but it didn't break. There was only a dull thud as the pot hit the ground of the tomb. What was going on here? But I don't think about it at first and instead focus on my prime objective, 
finding the entrance to the mysterious iron tunnels. At first, it appeared I was in for another letdown, just as with the large stones. This changed, though, when I sat down next to the central altar in order to eat my bread, which I also packed that day. I realized that the sound of my Gladys was distinctly different from the sound of my torch when I laid the former directly in front of the altar. The latter, somewhat aside from it, it sounded hollower. An underground tunnel? I jolted to my feet, used my blanket to brush away the dirt and dead leaves which had been blown in through the seasons. It was also then that I noticed that both must have been placed there on purpose as there was nothing of the sort anywhere else in the tomb. I studied the ground in front of the altar with great care until I spotted a round handle made of iron. My heart started pounding faster and harder. If this useless slave had been here not so long ago, then the handle should still function. I bent down and let my fingers run over the surface of the handle. It didn't feel rough or aged. Quite the contrary. It almost appeared to me as if this handle was used rather frequently. I lost no time and at first pulled lightly at it, pulled harder when it didn't budge, causing a hatch to open before me just like a cellar. I grabbed my torch and tossed it down the hole in front of me to see how deep it was. Let's just say it was deep, very deep, though not deep enough for me to lose track of the torch now lying on the ground. I quickly pulled the blanket over me, girded my Gladys and climbed down the iron ladder described by the slave. Scroll 27 9th Calends of January 762 AUC It was exactly as the slave had described during his deserved punishment. It took me a long, long, long while before reaching the bottom and once I stood on solid ground, I was immediately greeted by the aforescribed torches as bright as the sun hanging on every wall. I hence put down my torch and went up to one of the bright lights to inspect it closely. Yet I learned that these lights aren't just bad for your eyes, but for your skin as well. As the light didn't just blind me for a short while, but also burned me when I tried to touch one of them. Furthermore, I also realized what the slave had meant by those nonsensical numbers and mysterious markings when looking at the ladder I had climbed down. To the right it read DR negative 44 HLL 500R negative 44 H5050. What by Bacchus's ass does that even mean? Oh well, whatever. I looked about and since I was already here, decided to go off exploring. Yet upon walking further and further, my Gladys ready in order to defend myself, I quickly realized that this was no cloacal and above that nothing Roman. Here and there, I stumbled upon more ladders with strange markings next to them, upon strange devices such as a one-man cart, with two wheels with a back cart being tied to the rear of it. Yet the most bewildering thing I found was a strange, round creature, similar to a turtle, scuttling across the floor, giving off a faint humming noise. Since I've always wanted a turtle for a pet, I tried baiting it, but the animal didn't even notice me. I therefore found it appropriate to follow the strange creature farther and farther down the tunnels. However, this led to me getting completely lost, unable to find the ladder from whence I came. Fear crept inside of me. I prayed to Jupiter, Minivira, as well as countless other deities while wandering aimlessly through the tunnels in search for another ladder. 
and after what seemed like an eternity, I found another door, and this one also had markings next to it, just as there was beside the one I came from, DE1920RD. As I mentioned before, I have no idea what it means. I only knew that it was a way out of here, a way out of this hole. I thus tucked my Gladys away, gripped the lowest rundle, and climbed upward. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed your two tales. Our first journal was sort of a Buffy the Ancient Slayer, opposed to vampires, possessing the strength to take Ancients of old out with a punch or a kick, and knowing exactly where to hit them. Having just finished Buffy the Vampire Slayer myself, this oozes a familiar plotline, of which I love. Timmy Spike, all the way, mates. And your second tale involving artifacts of the future, meddling with the fate of our own main protagonist. Where will the latter at the end take him? We'll find out in future episodes. Well, listeners, I hope your Wednesday is going absolutely swimmingly, and thank you for listening. Should you want to support this show further, you can visit my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash sfgt, and send your dollary dues my way to help with production costs. And feel free to email me at any time with questions, stories of your own, and submissions via email at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. And now... I want to thank my legendary patrons that keep this show a-pumping. Now, to my white tea warlords and above, I'll be doing something different. I'll be creating stories where I can, based off the stories I read in each episode, where appropriate, as I wanted to bring to life what you contribute to this podcast month in and month out. So, let's begin. Maya, the queen of the cats and feline collector. Many an archive page or lost document appears on the table of investigators around the globe when it comes to the deity called Maya. Stories of hordes of cats chattering to themselves, sharing thoughts, sharing dreams, and acting as eyes for the goddess to influence the human race. A collector of felines is all that is really known about Maya, but if you whisper her name and write down your thoughts, it is said that a messenger will contact you in your deepest dreams to whisk you away to a reality all of your own for one night. Maya, the queen of felines and the goddess of dreams. Solstra, the princess of the void. It takes talent and skill to command the forces of the dark and even more so to wield its fury. Solstra is known amongst the chosen as a slayer of indomitable strength whose determination and willpower overshadows those that dare to challenge her. The princess of the void a foe worthy of respect, and a crusher of despair. Lee of Lyacon, a man whose strength lies in the mind, and whose resilience is strengthened by his trust in his brethren and his Lyacon people. A chosen one not due to blood, not by his own choice, but by nomination of the gods. Lee's strength isn't raw power, nor is it agility, but endurance, blow after blow, and Lee shows no pain and to onlookers it appears he feels none. And it is with this strength and this resolution that he defends his people. Lee is truly a chosen one. And Paige, Darkness Bane. As ancients invaded her home, Paige was forced to flee, watching her family torn to pieces by what appeared to be household objects. But the people couldn't understand why this was the case. Why were fridges, pens, staplers, and hell, even shoes, able to murder an adult. Paige could see them, though, for what they were. Twisted creatures, 
mirages. Hidden visages, an echo of life that resonates in the mind like halls long forgotten. She developed a poison made of light. A magical concoction, as it were. One that would penetrate the very essence of what she ran from for all those years ago. And that would be the bane of ancient kind. And now for my epic and very special Earl Grey Enforcers, I'm lucky to have Joss Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fasik, and Alia Arcane. Thank you all, you legends. I'll see you Friday for a unique set of tales, hugs and high fives, and as always, till next we meet.